I'm back. Feels like it was so long ago. All right. Well, I'm glad to be here with everybody. Good afternoon. How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? It's a little bit warmer out there. I don't know if you got that little Google alert on your, any of your phones. But as I was going to bed, it said, oh, it's going to be 15 degrees hotter tomorrow. I was like, all right, here we go. It's coming. But uh, I did want to throw a special thank you out there to everybody for last week with special missions contribution. It was such a great, great weekend uh, last week and being able to give our special together. For all you that gave, thank you so much uh, for doing so. And again, I encourage if you haven't had a chance to give yet, please, over the next couple of weeks, uh, let's do that. And, um, uh, you know, I wanted to share a little story, too. We were, uh, we were preparing my daughter as we were getting ready for special, and uh, her uncle gave her a piggy bank about a year ago, and periodically she just puts change in it and stuff like that. But as we were getting ready for special, I was talking to her, I was like, so, so Peyton, you know, we're going we're gonna to give some of your, some of your money to, to God for a special contribution. She was, oh, yay! She was so fired up. And I didn't even know how to process that. Because if you know my daughter, she's pretty, she's pretty possessive of the things that she's got. But, but at the thought of giving special, she was like, oh, I get to give to God? Yes. And then later on, uh, on Sunday, you know, because we had to go, they asked us to, to not give change so you don't hear that crinkling as, as the kids are dropping it off. Um, Kelsey was, was, uh, was giving her the money and stuff. And she asked a normal question that we would ask. So, so where does the money go? Well, what's going to happen with it? He said, well, we're going to give it to the Middle East. And she, you know, we got to go to the Middle East back in 2016. And so she knows people from there. And she goes, so this is going to go to Jesse and Mufid? And yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. Let's just be honest here. If you struggle with a hard heart, just talk to a three-year-old. <laughs> but, but I loved that as I, as I heard the story. I mean, it warmed my heart. I know we were fired up to get ready to give to special, but I think... You know, it started to hit me. I've been a part of about 30 years worth of special contributions in my lifetime. And after a while, you can kind of just kind of, oh, yeah, it's part of the rhythm of our year and we give, whatever. But then hearing that, I think, really did help my heart to remember, man, what we're a part of is something awesome. And this is such a great thing that we get to be able to give and be a part of. And if you're visiting with us once a year, uh, our church saves up money and we give a, we give a big offering to go towards world missions here locally, but also we support many churches in the Middle East. And, uh, and I love that we get to be a part of that together. But that really helped my, uh, helped my heart. And uh, like I said, man, if you're struggling with, with, a, with a bad attitude about it, just talk to a three-year-old. You know, you get, you get the healthy perspective of realizing at the end of the day it's just money. She gave it all and she was fired up about it. And I love that. But, uh, you know, these last few weeks have been a time of, uh, of reflection for me. I turned, uh, turned 31 this month, which is a pretty inconsequential age. You know, 30 kind of rocked me. Like, uh, about three days before I turned 30, I was like, a whole decade is gone. And it just, it sent me into that, like, con- contemplative. I just kind of was at home just going, in my 20s, I got married. I had kids and just everything that happened over a 10 year time frame just started wafting over me. 31 hasn't been really that way. But birthdays do give you a unique chance to kind of stop and just just think about things a little bit. Right. And and just consider where life is at. Now, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm married with two kids. Helping to lead a church now for about nine months. 
I've been a disciple of Jesus for going on 17 years now. Amen. That's good news. But this has led me to ask some questions of myself, though. Why did I become a disciple? What did I love about following Jesus early on when I first became a Christian? And some of, this, some of these questions have kind of come out of, of realizing, man, my faith has not really been, as, been where I want it to be. And, and the more I thought about it, I started thinking back. You know, I, I let myself just kind of go back to, okay, when I was first studying the Bible, when I first got baptized, when I was in Ronnie's shoes, what was I thinking about? And I remember thinking about how moved I was about the cross. When I first studied out the cross and the significance of it, this, this thing, this symbol that I grew up hearing my entire life and realizing that Jesus did that because of me. You know, I became a disciple because when I realized the reality of forgiveness and the fact that my impurity, my pride, my insecurity, all these things that I struggled with in my life, they would be forgiven. I was a, what I loved about being a disciple early on is that I had confidence in knowing I'm living my life the way that God wants me to live. I'm living a life with a purpose. I have a mission. Every day that I wake up, it doesn't matter what my career choices are. It doesn't matter what I do in my day. I have a mission that supersedes everything. You know, one of the things that really motivated me in becoming a disciple was seeing that Jesus had this mission to change the world. And he wanted to use me to do it. And I knew, man, at the end of the day, the fact that I get to be a part of something like that, that's incredible. But what about today? Why do I follow Jesus today? You know, and there are things about all this stuff that haven't changed, about the things I mentioned. But there are also some things, the more I've been thinking about it and praying about this, I've realized there's some things I've lost and need to revisit in my relationship with God. Because I don't want to live my life as a disciple of Jesus Strictly out of duty or commitment. That leads to bitterness and frustration, not faith. I am not a disciple for the sake of being a disciple. I'm not a disciple because it's right. I'm a disciple because of Jesus. But it's led me to consider an overarching question that's really the premise for what we're going to talk about here today in our sermon. What does being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, what does this need to look like at your current stage of life? What does discipleship need to look like for you where you are at right now? Because just like Ronnie did earlier today, for those of us that are disciples of Jesus, the day you got baptized, you said the words, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life from here on out. So that means that that occasionally as disciples, we have to continue to ask these questions of ourselves. What does it mean for me right now where I stand to be a disciple? As a married, single, college student, high school student, with kids or without kids, at work, at school, whatever it may be, what does following Jesus need to look like for me right now? 
And this question is especially important for any of us that have been disciples for a while now. Because being a disciple isn't this new shiny life anymore. And just like marriage, there's some realities. You know, being married, you get to that first year, the honeymoon phase. You just, all you do is just love each other. You know, even the fights are pretty short and quick and you make up fast. But then real life has a chance to sink in. And you realize more that the death to us part thing has a different face on it. Right? And when things start getting a little bit harder, when life starts to wear on, maybe we can start even to think just like marriage, you know, this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't how I remember it. We're supposed to be in love. We're always supposed to like each other. Our fights are supposed to be temporary and about what we want to watch tonight on TV. You know, as Christians, we can think, you know, life with Jesus is supposed to be easier. I don't remember it being like this. And really, the truth of the matter is that we get jaded by the truth that life isn't heaven. And it was never supposed to be. We want this life to be what we are exposed to experience with God one day. And the truth of the matter is, life gets hard. There's inequality. Things are unfair. Tragedy happens. I mean, I don't know how you felt hearing about the Santa Fe shooting a week ago, but that hit me. There have been more school shootings in five months. Like, I remember the day that Columbine, Columbine happened when I was younger, and it rocked the world. We've had four of those. They're suffering and we get hurt. And after a while of dealing with this disappointment, it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to drown ourselves in sin and distractions rather than face the truth of living in a fallen world. You know, there's a very popular song and music video that's been out for a little while called This Is America. If you haven't had a chance to see it yet, it's a pretty powerful thing to watch. It's going to make you feel a lot of different stuff. One of the things that he addresses in the video that was, that was pretty, pretty shocking in a lot of regards is how, how quickly we move on from things when tragedy happens. That, that in our society, it's easy just to, okay, tragedy's going on, chaos is going on behind him, but he's busy dancing in front and just trying to worry about entertainment. And here's the truth. God never promised that walking, that life walking in grace and truth was going to be easier. But it is better. It's worth it, it's right, and it's good. In marriage and in discipleship, when we question if the love is gone, it's not. There's new, there's a new, richer version of love and discipleship, but it won't come without asking questions of ourselves and evaluating what do we need to do differently. What does Jesus want from his disciples? What does that look like at my current life stage? Has Jesus been Lord of my life lately? Where does he want me to be? And over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of lordship. 
about Jesus taking the rightful place of sitting on the throne of our lives that he was always meant to take. And we're going to do that by looking at First and Second Peter. Because these books of the Bible, they were written to disciples as a whole during one of the most oppressive times in Christian history. Peter doesn't use it to, to address a specific church. He, he uses it to address a lot of people at one time. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to encourage them to have faith and to remember what they have in Jesus and that he needs to be Lord of our lives, but also how they ought to live as disciples in a broken and fallen world. And we're going to do something different here today. Something I've never done in preaching before. Okay, this has kind of been a, a day of different to some degrees. But we're going to read, we're just going to read through three chapters of the Bible together. I'm going to point some things out along the way. I'm, I'm doing what I call a pointless sermon. There are no points to what I'm trying to get to. I'm not trying to steer the conversation. I want us to just spend some time digging into the scriptures and let the Bible preach to us where we're at. Along the way, we're going to stop and point some things out. But we're going to read this just like the first century church would have. If Peter was trying to encourage your faith, if Peter was trying to help you to think about your relationship with God and your discipleship, just sitting down, reading this letter together. But I want to practice a little something here, because it's been a little dead today. I don't know if it's been the heat or the songs. Okay? But I want you to look to the person at your right and say, I'm glad you're here. I want you to look at the person to your left and say, I'm ready for the scriptures. That was a little tricky to figure out for a second, wasn't it? And what I want to encourage us is as we're reading through this together, to not just sit there quietly, but to engage with God in his word. Say amen. Say mmm. You know, this isn't for me. This is for us. All right. Come on. All right, the title of our sermon today is Life and Lordship. We're going to say a prayer. God, I want to thank you so much for the chance to be here together. Thank you so much, Father, that, that, that our life with you is such a rich life. Uh, the discipleship is not something that, that, that just started on the day that we said Jesus is Lord, but it continues on until the day that we go to be with you in heaven. And I really pray, Father, that you really guide and lead our hearts right now, that you soften our hearts and open up our ears to hear what your word has to say. God, I pray that, that you will move me out of the way and that, that you help us just to, just to really engage with you and your scriptures right now. We love you so much. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bible over to 1 Peter. That's my last slide, so don't worry about looking up there. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse one, it says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I want to pause there for a second. Peter starts this letter by addressing again disciples as a whole and just saying, starts off, and I want you to imagine for a second that you were a Christian in the first century that has the threat of death looming at every turn. Every day you're hearing news that one of your family members, one of your friends are being caught and killed by Romans. And then imagine that Peter starts this letter to you saying, praise be to God, our Father. What he's trying to do here is to set our minds as Christians back to what matters. That what we have in our life is not determined by our circumstances, but by Jesus. That because of what he did with his resurrection, we have something to look forward to, not just in this life, but he says an inheritance that will never spoil or fade in heaven. Let's keep reading. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In this part here, when he's talking this, he says, look, now imagine again, I'm talking about that suffering. And Peter says, though now for just a little while, you're going through some trials. Life gets hard. The truth of the matter is life is going to have its challenges. Always and forever here on out. Somebody shared with me very wisely years ago, life is never as good as we think it is, but it's also never as bad as we think it is. But here he talks about our challenges through a process. He talks about gold, about the purification of gold. And if you didn't know this, gold being purified takes a lot of heat. They superheat it. And what's interesting that happens is all the stuff, when they find gold ore, they throw it on heat. And all the things that are in it that you don't want on your rings starts bubbling to the surface. This black, nasty, it's called slag. It's not even a fun word to say. (laughs) Slag. So the slag rises to the top, and then when the gold cools, it creates a separation where there's all the things you don't want and the purified gold. Then they break that off, and that's the stuff that they melt down to make our wedding rings and stuff. In this, Peter's talking about our process of purification. That the reason why God allows hard things in our lives is because his goal in you and me is refinement. It's pure faith. But pure faith doesn't come by life being easy. Refinement, you and I being refined, comes through hardship. Through difficulty. It's God's process of superheating us to try to get all that impurity, all that selfishness, all that pride, 
all that insecurity, all the things that make us think about everything else except God. He's trying to bring it to the top and break it off. Because what he wants in you and me is a pure version of Jesus. If things in life are challenging to you right now, which I'm sure, and and I know many of you guys' circumstances, but for the rest of you, if things are challenging, this is God trying to turn the heat up on you. He's trying to burn out the impurities and the slag to make your faith and your life pure. Let's continue. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. I want to stop there for a minute. He's saying, what, we've get, what we get to experience right now in our relationship with God, we cannot take this for granted. So for thousands of years, God's people have hoped for what we get to enjoy sitting here in this room. They were looking for it. They were waiting for it. So that we get to take it for granted. And miss it very easily. But that you are a part of something that God has been setting up for thousands and thousands of years to give us a hope that is so much greater than we can understand. It says that even angels long for the relationship that we get to enjoy with God. That's how special what we have with Him is. He says in verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your times as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have not been born again, or so you have not, so you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that is, that was preached to you. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, 
so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pause there for a second. He starts off this next section by saying, look, set your, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. He's saying, I want, I want you to clear out all the things, all the preconceived things you have about God and Jesus for a second. And let's focus on what matters. Let's focus on the bigger picture. Jesus died to give us a hope of heaven. Not a comfy life here on earth. Jesus died because there's something greater that is waiting for us beyond our last breath. That's what his death and resurrection means. But what he's saying here is, he says, look, if you have that hope, if you have something to look forward to, first of all, imagine for a second how you would live your life if every day you woke up thinking, I have heaven to look forward to. What would change about your outlook? Your choices. The way we live. And he says, if you have a hope of heaven, you've got to live out your time here as foreigners. This life is not made for us to blend in or fit in or belong to what we see in our neighbors next door, what we see in our classmates at school. He says, you need to live like you know this isn't where you belong. I want to feel uncomfortable here on earth. You shouldn't watch what everyone else watches. You shouldn't listen to what everyone else listens to. Or do what they do because you have something better to look forward to. Clear your minds. It doesn't matter what your budget is right now. It doesn't matter what's on your to-do list for this week. It doesn't matter what finals you have left, students. Clear your mind and focus on what matters for a second. Something bigger is waiting for you. But he says, because of that, just don't go back to what you used to do. Don't go back to your old life. Don't go back to old habits. Don't go back to who you used to be. God sent Jesus to die for us, to set us apart, to be holy, to be something different. So let's not go back to how we used to live. And he's writing this because the Christians at that time, that was the temptation. He said, if I'm going to be under threat of being killed for being a Christian, then it might just be easier just to not live like a Christian. That makes sense. But the way he puts it in, in chapter 2, is he says, therefore, get rid of these things. Like slag. Take the slag of your life, the impurity, the deceit, the malice, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander of every kind. Take it and get rid of it. Burn all the junk out that's keeping you from being holy. And then he continues. Because now we've tasted the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. 
You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which, was also, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Paul saying, or Peter is saying, look, says you come to Jesus. He said he's the living stone. He's a cornerstone. And what that means is, for those of us that aren't, that aren't aware, a cornerstone is something that was more used back in the first century. But as an architect, if you're building a building, the cornerstone is your first and most important piece. It's the perfect piece. You set it down and then you build off of the cornerstone. So that cornerstone has to be perfect. Because if you're setting everything next to it, it'll determine whether or not your walls are at weird angles. Or your house looks crooked. So when he's saying Jesus is our cornerstone, what he's trying to remind us of says, look, if you said Jesus is Lord of your life, that means he is supposed to be everything that you build off of in your life. The cornerstone isn't something you throw into the pile at the end. The cornerstone is the part of your life that you start with. And everything that we do in our schedules, to our money, to our relationships, to our jobs, everything we do is built off of that. If Jesus is Lord of your lives, then every decision and choice that we make is supposed to have Jesus at the focus and the center. But again, a question for us to ask is, is Jesus the cornerstone of our life right now? If somebody were to look at the house that you are building, does it reflect Jesus as the cornerstone? Or something else? Continues in verse 18. I'm sorry. In verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the talk, the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Okay, I want to stop here for a second. These Christians right now are under the reign of Emperor Nero. 
History considers Emperor Nero one of the most insane human beings that maybe has ever walked this earth. He was catching Christians and lighting them on fire in the streets. He burned down half of Rome, some saved to build a palace for himself, and then he blamed the Christians for it so that he could have a reason to kill them. Now that's your leader. Now I don't know how you feel about Donald Trump. I don't care. I know a lot of people have a lot to say about Donald Trump. But if Emperor Nero was your leader, Peter just told you, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. He says, look, as Christians, it doesn't matter who's in charge. What matters for us is who are we going to be? And as Christians, it's not our job to slander the leaders. It's not our job to engage in the politics and talk about how we feel about all of it. He says, matter of fact, what I want you to do as Christians is silence the talk of stupid people by living a life that matters. Politics is never going to change things. But we can by living a life that reflects Jesus. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Let's pause there for a second. Now, Peter turns his attention to even Christians in the church that were enslaved. Now, when we hear this, we tend to conjure up in our minds what our picture of slavery is. Now, in the first century, it wasn't quite that. There were people that were enslaved not by their own choice. They were forced into it. But there are also slaves that did it voluntarily, either to pay a debt or because they wanted to live under the reign of a certain master. But either way, he's talking about people that are in a working situation. There's some of this that we can connect to with our, with our working situations. And what he's talking about here, he says, look, some of you guys are in a situation that's hard. You got masters that are not fair. They don't treat you righteously. They beat you for something you didn't do. He says, but... You've got to decide to choose to live righteously no matter what. As a matter of fact, said if, you, if you get a beating for something that you've earned, that's just on you. <laughs> but if you, get, if you get unjust suffering because of, because of trying to live righteously, said God takes note of that. So what that communicates to us today as Christians is how we're treated at work, at school, doesn't matter. It's no excuse for compromise. 
says, I don't care about who your, who your master is. I care about who you as a slave are as a slave to God. And then ultimately he points us, he says, Jesus is our ultimate example. Jesus set us an example in his suffering in a way that we have no excuse. Doesn't matter how you feel about your life, says Jesus, Jesus suffered, he took the sin of people that, that were deserving of the punishment on himself, and he said, I'm going to trust God with this. You know, for this week, we're going to stop here. But what I want us to, to go through, I know this is different. This was slightly uncomfortable for me to preach this way. But again, as Peter's talking here, what he's trying to help us to understand is he's trying to hit us wherever we're at when it comes to understanding our Lordship of Jesus. Something in here, we're trying to cast a wide net because something in here should, talk us, should tell us to stop and take pause. Where has my Lordship of Jesus been? In verse 15, specifically, I want to read this again. Or actually, no, we didn't get to this. But in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, or Peter says, But in your hearts, I want you to revere Christ as Lord. The goal of all of this, whether it's how you've been living at work, how you've been living at home, how you feel about your current life circumstances when things are hard, how you feel about your just own faith and your own walk with God. He's trying to redirect us to focus on the fact that what we have is still better than anything we could imagine. But is Jesus still Lord of my life where I'm at? This week I'm going to be sending out a quiet time that goes through 1 Peter. For us to just in detail be able to ask some questions of ourselves. But the goal of this again, really that I want you guys to hear from all this, is, is we are called to be disciples of Jesus. And I love this church. But sometimes we need to, take, we need to stop and take stock of where we've been at to go, okay, have I been living the life that Jesus wants me to live? Is Jesus still Lord of my life right now? And together, as God's elect, as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to go arm in arm together towards walking in the light of the Messiah. I love you guys. Let's be the great disciples of Jesus. Amen.